When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is so beautiful to see you. I want you to want me. Hey out there, live music fans, welcome to the third episode of First Concert Memories, brought to you by your friends at the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. This is a fun sidecast that we do to talk about the first time someone saw an artist that really changed their lives, changed the course of their own history, if you will. And the first two were very well received. We appreciate everybody downloading out there. The first one, of course, was with Tom and Zeus from the Shout It Out Loud cast, the world's number one KISS podcast, talking about seeing KISS. And it was fun because Tom and Zeus each saw a different show. And then Jackson and I saw a show in between their two shows, our first KISS show in 1992 on the Revenge Tour. So that was a fun conversation to have. And the second one was unbelievable. The man who literally wrote the books on Van Halen, Greg Renoff, talked about seeing Van Halen for the first time on the 1984 tour. That was huge because we were just a little too young to see that tour. We didn't get to see them until 1992 on the Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge Tour. So hearing those stories from Greg was a lot of fun. And on this episode, it's no different, guys. We have got an expert in the realm of Def Leppard to come talk about the first time he saw Def Leppard Live, and that is Neil from Def Lep Pod, the world's greatest Def Leppard podcast. Neil is a friend of ours. He has been an inspiration to us. He has been on the show. This will be his third time on our show. He once walked through track by track on Hysteria with us, and that was a lot of fun. And then because he is from Liverpool, we had him come on and talk about the Beatles' Get Back documentary because we wanted to get not only a British person's perspective, but a Liverpudlian, somebody who grown up in the shadow of where the Beatles got started and had to hear all his life how great the Beatles were. And that was another great show. I've been trying to figure out a way to have him back on soon. Uh, and when we created First Concert Memories, we thought this would be great. Best in class, definitely Neil on Def Leppard. So it turns out he saw them on the Adrenalize tour just a few months before we saw them. I guess they played in the UK before they then came to America. So while it's the same tour, same stage setup, set list is a little different. They vary it just a bit, and they do that varied uh, based on country to country. And so we're going to go into detail about Neil going to his first Tep Leopard show as a teenager in the UK back in 1992. But first, just a quick little bit of business. As usual, we like to tell everyone that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, a network of about 100 different shows, all music-related, but not all rock and roll. There really is something in there for everyone. I encourage you to go to PantheonPodcast.com or follow at Pantheon Pods. And we have to give a shout-out to our fantastic sponsor, RareVinyl.com. They, like Neil, are based in the UK, and they service people all over the world with over a quarter of a million items in stock, whether you're looking for that rare picture disc, an import, a first print that's in mint condition, 
a single, a CD, a tour program, a poster, a point of sale piece from a record store back in the day, whatever it may be, go to rarevinyl.com, find something you love, and then use code UGLY when you check out. It'll save you 10%. Now, that's a one-time code. So don't go buy one CD single that costs you six quid. Go buy a bunch of stuff or go find something that's rare, hard to find. Maybe something for that special someone in your life. Save a big 10% by using the code UGLY. And I know they've got some Def Leppard stuff in there. So I don't know if, Neil, you want to use it. Get yourself something nice before the holidays. Or maybe one of the many Def Leppard pod listeners out there want to go ahead and cash in, get something cool. doesn't have to be Def Leppard. Like I said, quarter of a million items in stock. There's something there you're going to like. But use that code UGLY and save yourself 10%. Now back to Def Leppard with Neil. Yeah, Jackson and I saw them in the Orlando Arena in the round. And it was an amazing show. But we don't get too much into our side of things. We wanted to have Neil tell his story because he is the Def Lep expert. He's got all this passion and knowledge for Def Leppard. And this was the first time he saw him after waiting years, after watching the hysteria live in the round in your face video a thousand times. He couldn't wait to see his favorite band live. So let's go ahead and jump in. We're talking with Neil from Def Lep Pod, seeing Def Leppard live in 1992. There he is. There he is. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Good, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning to or you. Good afternoon to you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's only actually just occurred to me that it must be, what, 7 a.m., quarter past seven, is it? Something like that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. Well, Jackson, there's an early riser. I I, I'm not, but he yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> only because I have to be. I've got the opposite on on saturday night i'm recording one on saturday night and the two people are in japan and australia oh my god so i'm doing it at, i'm doing it at midnight on saturday which is eight o'clock in the morning on mm-hmm. sunday in the future for them so uh, <laughs> <That's> yeah <right. laughs> we do some crazy times don't we <laughs> we kind of have to don't we i mean you know you want to get your your guests from all over you do what you got to do and we're just glad to have you back you you are i mean i know this is a different show for his concert memories is not exactly the ugly american werewolf in london but you will be our first three-time guest in our 150 episodes so congratulations to you your plaque is on back order oh, i feel very honored i listened <laughs> to the other one by the way just to get a, such a sense of what it is you know the with the kiss dudes. kiss guys yeah yeah, I don't think I can be as entertaining as them, but at least I've got an idea what you want, so I'm trying my best. I don't know if anyone can be as entertaining as them, Neil. I swear, I you know, obviously we all listen to a lot of podcasts, and we wish we could listen to more. It's just life kind of gets in the way. But there's the one that I never miss, and it's not even because I love Kiss so much or that I really want to know about the fifth disc of a box set that I'm never going to buy. It's just because those guys make me laugh, you know? <laughs> One of them's got a good line, which I can totally empathize with when it comes to particular bands, where he just always says, like, he might be talking negatively about something, but then he'll just turn it around and go, but it's okay, isn't it? Because it's Kiss. <laughs> I, I, I totally get that. But how uh, how was your summer, sir? Yeah, it's been good. It's been okay. I mean, being classic British here, the um, I've got to talk about the weather. The weather's been pretty bad. I've come back to work. I'm now not off for about another six months. And it's um, 28 degrees out there, which is about, what, 85, something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's annoying. But I've just purposely got out of my work clothes and put a band t-shirt on to get into the zone. So I've got nice. to remember I'm not at work. <laughs> It's all good. How are you both anyway? You okay? Doing all right. I'm now back in the States. You know, I moved, including hotels. The family and I moved 
seven or eight times in the last 13 months. So it's good to finally be like settled. It, it may not be the place we're settled the rest of our lives, but I think we'll be settled here for a little while anyway. Are you still in the same place, Gary? Oh, yes. Still here. Still doing it to it here. Dodging hurricanes here and there, but we'll be okay. And we have to address something at first here, though, man. You're talking about you know, season five just started for Def Lep Pod, the world's best Def Leppard podcast. And see, the Yeah episode is out. Need to listen to that one. But you're saying that this is it. This is the end. Say it isn't so, man. You've got fans who count on this. you got folks like us who love to hear the show. You're not really going to quit on us, are you? It's the end as a regular concern ah. in terms of by the end of the year, I will have essentially exhausted pretty much everything you could talk about unless you start getting into really really um, obscure stuff that no one's really interested in so it will it will end then but it'll be in a dormant state and if anything happens in the future sort of death leopard style then i'll release episodes and then you know sort of give it a year or something if you know i have ideas yeah <laughs> things to talk about that people might want to listen to i might do another like little run of like you know say five or six in you know a few months or whatever so in terms of what it is now yeah it's ending but it's not it's still going to be there it's still going to be in the dormant states and i will do things now and then but just not in a way that people can rely on essentially i got you all right well that's good to hear you can't you can't give it you have too much passion and knowledge for def leppard to just cut that off altogether my friend you're too good at yeah, it yeah so oh. still be there excellent all right well today's topic is one that you should be quite familiar with. Def Leppard, first concert memories. And it turns out that we, we being me and Jackson here, saw Def Leppard, I mean, not so long after you did for the first time. It was the same tour, it's just they hit England before they hit the U.S. on their Adrenalize tour. And our set lists are pretty similar, so we're not going to talk too much about ours because it's it's basically the same thing there's a couple little movements around that we can talk a little bit about but i you know it's not about us this time the, the kiss episode was like i just thought it was cool because they had two different shows and we had one in between so it's like let's all share our shows i, I really want to hear more about your as you know a kid who's growing up in england loving Def leopard even though they're more popular here than over there we want to kind of focus on you a little bit more than on and we can throw our, our stories in there, Jackson, as we like to do. But, I mean, the first five questions of these brilliant, just very well-thought-out research questions that we came up with. I like them because I didn't have to write them down. Yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can repeat them. Just, uh, and the first ones are basically like a reporter's who, what, where, when, why. Kind of like date, venue, city, location. The artist is obvious and the tour. I mean, I could probably break that down for you. Uh, but but go ahead and hit those and then hit six, describe the venue. Okay. Yeah, so my first ever gig is also my first ever Death Leopard concert as well. So it was on the 6th of June. Sorry, it wasn't on the 6th of June. That was Don Valley a year later. It was on the 30th of June. Maybe I should have written it down. Right, so <laughs> I'll start again for you. You can just edit that out. Right. right. <laughs> okay, yeah. So my first Def Leppard show is also my first ever gig that I go to as well. And it's in wow. 1992, and it's on the 30th of June. And I have two dates that are in my head that are not to do with being married and not to do with children. Gotcha. And that's the first two times that I saw Def Leppard. So it was the 30th of June. I just turned 14, so I was relatively young. Mm -hmm. 
it was in a city called Birmingham, which is in the Midlands of uh, the UK. It's the heavy metal capital of the world. It's where Black Sabbath are from. Black Sabbath, that's it's right. It's where Judas Priest are from. That's and right. indeed, actually, as a quick aside, in Birmingham now, they've actually got a Black Sabbath bridge um, that you can go over. It was a bridge that was already there, but they've just simply called it Black <laughs> Sabbath Bridge, and they put a bench on it, and they put the uh, the faces of the members of Black Sabbath. So it's a good place to go to your first rock gig. Maybe not a metal gig, but in terms of its musical heritage, it's a great place to go to your first gig. Was the venue itself a great place to go? Okay, so the venue is called a Birmingham NEC. Mm-hmm. It's an arena. It's got a capacity of about 16,000. Okay. At that time... There's not that many arenas back in 1992 in the UK. You've got Wembley Arena, not to be mistaken with Wembley Stadium. So which is right across arena. the street, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a place called Earl's Court, which was probably the biggest mm. place that you could play that was indoor. You had the Birmingham NEC, there was a Sheffield Arena, there was somewhere in Glasgow, but there wasn't anywhere near as many as there is now. Essentially in the UK now, every major city has an arena. Mm-hmm. And in terms of where it was, it wasn't in a good place. It was off a motorway or a freeway. So it's not like in the Birmingham city centre or downtown, you know, where you can go and you can have a, a drink or there's good transport links and all of that stuff. No, I it's see. Just, it's just out off on a motorway, big car park, big arena, nothing else. Quite a soulless <laughs> place to go to your, to your first gig, to be honest. So that's the date. That's the gig. It was the mm. Adrenalized Tour. That's the arena. That's the city. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because we kind of take that for granted in the U.S., even though, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of the cities in the Britain are older, right? So they didn't have a big basketball or hockey arena, which is what they basically use it for in the U.S. when they're not doing concerts, right? We're used to having one of those centrally located somewhere. And where we went to school together, where we got to know each other in Orlando, you know, that's a city that was kind of a truck stop in the middle of Florida until Walt Disney decided to build Walt Disney World there. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, everything kind of grows up around it. So the arena's somewhat downtown, Jackson, but you, I mean, you got to go south. We're on the north side of town, so you got to go south to do it. Yeah, you can get there, I guess. They, they try to kind of make it into a complex, I guess. It, it's relatively easy to get to, but yeah, it's. I, I can see that someplace in like Birmingham, where it's like the city's been going on for hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand years. They never had this big gathering spot. Then they're like, okay, well, we got to have something for concerts or big sporting events. There's no place downtown. We'll stick it off the highway so it has easy access. But you're right, it's it's soulless. Like, there's not a city, there's not a town around it. It's just, we're building this here. They're building places to park, and that's it. Well, the only thing, the thing about the Orlando Arena that I didn't like, it was easy to get to, but there wasn't, like, a central parking lot. Like, it's cool when you go to, like, Giant Stadium, there's nothing around Giant Stadium. But it's a giant parking lot, so everybody goes there, and that's where you tailgate, and you right. kind of run into people. The arena was, you just found a place to park somewhere and just went in. So that was kind of a little bit of a a buzzkill for me. But uh, in Birmingham, everybody knows where Birmingham is now because that's the home of Tommy Shelby. So we all know here. Can I just ask you a question then? Sure. Can I just ask you a question? You know, when you say tailgate, is that the the practice of in America where you you, like you open the boot of your car and you all have barbecues and you drink and we don't have that here at all and I think that looks amazing and I would love to go (laughs) to a gig in the States in the future just to see what that's like which might sound strange to you if it's just a normal day at kids but that's cool 
you say that though, but that turns into a big part of the experience. Is yeah. you know you're hanging around with people that you've never that you've never met before, but you're all there for the same thing. I remember when we saw Metallica in uh, Fort Myers. It was kind mm. of the same thing. It was out in the middle of nowhere, and like I remember one dude had written all over his car like the different Metallica tracks that they I guess they wanted to hear but it was just it's crazy and it just it just adds to that whole experience. Yeah, that's what I wanted. I mean, I knew it was a long shot, but like when I saw that Def Leppard was coming on the stadium tour to Jacksonville, Florida, which is right near where where Gary lives there. I, and it was right around 4th of July weekend, so I knew I could convince my family to go down there and see my dad cuz he lives nearby. And then I'm like, that's why I'm like I just threw out an invite you Neil and Chris from rock these tweets let's get those guys down here we'll have a party they can stay at my place we'll, we'll go down we'll, we'll see it knowing it wasn't going to happen but the tailgating is a big part of it and, and we do it for sporting events too tailgating at football is more important than the actual football game i'm talking about american <laughs> football not not football football and i don't feel like you have that i mean you sit at your pub you load up and then you walk to the stadium that's kind of your quote-unquote tailgating in England, but it, it, you're right. It's it's not quite the same. It's an art. I mean, going to an SEC college football game, you'll see better barbecue than you would at the best restaurants in town. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, that that that's that's on my bucket list. I'd like to do that one day. Definitely, it looks really good. And I, I you know, food and booze, two of my big loves. You know, what I mean, probably before that effort, to be honest. So yeah, it worked well for me. <laughs> well, and the other thing is, especially at this age. If there's an opening act that you do not care about, just sit in the parking lot. The beer's at, you know, 92% cheaper. <laughs> the food is better. You can go to the bathroom when nobody's looking. You know, it's it's an easy thing to do before you walk in for the big gig. But who uh, who did you go with to the show? Did you go solo or did you go with your mates? Because I was only 14, because it was the first show that I've been to, and because it wasn't where I'm from. It's probably about two and a half hour drive away. I was allowed to go, but I was allowed to go on the basis that my big brother took me. So he, he came with me. So I was 14. He was 16, probably 10 and 17. His mate from school as well um, came. So I was very much chaperoned. And interestingly as well is that set the trend of what my Def Leppard gig going has been like for, you know what, 31 years now, which really? is going with people who don't like Def Leppard. Oh, no. <laughs> and, so the, and have it. And that's that's literally only this year. I've been to see them this year, 2023, for, in case someone's listened to this in 10 years' time. <laughs> I've seen them four times this year. The four times I've seen them this year is the first time ever in my life I've been to gigs with other people who like Def Leppard as much as me. And to be honest, in many cases, more than me, um, even. So it was quite interesting that the start of my Def Leppard gig going journey very much is a template for what it was like for the 30 years after, which was going with people who didn't dislike them, but, you know, weren't fans and, and didn't mind them. And that's essentially how I've gone to see sort of Def Leppard over the last few years. So you'll be glad to know, however, that even though I did go with two people who didn't, like Def Leppard, they both very much enjoyed it. And even though they were 17, they still hadn't been to many, many concerts. My brother, I think the first concert he'd been to had only been a couple of years before Iron Maiden um, right. on the No Prayer for the Dying tour. And on that tour, they played little theatres as a choice, as an option. They wanted to play smaller venues. Okay. So they played in Liverpool, which is where I'm from. So I've, and I think he'd been to Donington, Monsters of Rock, the year before when okay. Iron Maiden headlined that. There's a clear Iron Maiden, Def Leppard thing going on. Yeah. And 
So he'd only been to a few himself. So I think he was still young and his mates were still young and it hadn't been to loads and loads of gigs. So they couldn't help but be impressed by the show of it. Even if you didn't like the music, just mm-hmm. to go to a big show, as I'm sure we'll come on to in the round and all of this type of thing. It was an event. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of many years ago, I went to see Madonna. I got tickets to see Madonna for my wife for her birthday. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you buy her a ticket, you can't. You have to buy right. yourself one. And That's right. Home. I'm no big Madonna fan, but it was in a stadium and everything. And it was a good show. You don't need to like every, you know, every single part of it. It was a good show. And I think that was very much their view of it as well. So, yeah, that, that's who I went with. So, when they announced this tour... You were all in. I can imagine you were just waiting for the for the day that you could go. Did you have to talk your brother into it, or did he know he would have to take you? There was no question no, about I, it. No, I was very much all in. I've been waiting for this day since the summer of 1988. <laughs> so I think it was announced at the beginning of 1992. I've been waiting for this for four years. Mm-hmm. My brother very much knew how much... I love Death Leopard. <laughs> and also, he's not going to turn down a free ticket. I can't remember exactly, but I could only assume that my mum or dad kindly paid for those tickets for us. Right. I think I had the paper round at the time. Um, <laughs> but I don't think it was enough to get to buy a ticket for an arena gig, even though mm-hmm. it was probably, rel- probably relatively cheap. I can't remember how much it was, but it was probably a lot cheaper than what it would be today, even if you take inflation into account. So yeah, no, he he was happy. <laughs> it was a free ticket. It was you know a free night out. It was something mm-hmm. to do. He got to take his mates along with him, so he, you know didn't have to talk to me. That's a joke. <laughs> he did talk to me. Um, so yeah, so yeah, it was um, there was there was no issues with it. And to be honest, I think I definitely benefited from the fact that having an older brother who'd been to a few gigs beforehand. Mm-hmm. And not being killed or maimed or anything that, you know, in terms of parents letting you go or whatever, then there was, there was no issue with it at all. Interestingly, my wife's first ever gig was Sepultura in the Royal Court Theatre in Liverpool. And I don't think she quite understood what that was going to be like. And she did nearly get killed within the first oh. sort of five minutes. Oh, so no. to be honest, in terms of cool stakes, my wife has a far cooler probably first gig than I do in terms of it just being slightly off the wall. I was pretty straightforward, but still brilliant. Well, that's that's amazing. All right. Well, I mean, so did you, did your brother drive you? Did you have, did he have a car? Or did you have to take the train or how did you get from Liverpool? Well, back then, and I think we might have talked about this before, so I'll be very, very brief. <laughs> Going to gigs just used to be so much easier. So the theatre that I've just mentioned then where most bands played in Liverpool, when tickets went on sale, They'd go on sale in those places or in like a record shop, like a HMV or, or something, or a Tower Records or sure. something like that. And then all you would do is tickets would go on sale a particular day. They would go on sale a particular time. You would go down there. You would queue up for a bit. You would get there. You would give them the money. You would get your ticket. And then also what you could do is for any gig that was outside of Liverpool that was in a big arena, they put on a coach that would leave from that theatre so as well as buying a ticket, you could buy it with a coach ticket, like a chartered coach that was only oh, wow. going to that gig and back. That was really reasonable. Uh, it was just a big big piece of paper. I can remember it uh, to this day. And I went to loads of gigs. Like So that was my first one. But I went to loads of gigs all around the UK by simply doing that. Turning up, rocking up at a theatre, buying a ticket. No knobbing around on the internet and like everything being sold out within two seconds. No dynamic mm-hmm. pricing. None of that shit. Just go and get your ticket because you wanted it. And then also buy a cheap 
ticket, a bus ticket, a coach ticket, whatever you want to call it, to take you there and back as well. Which when you're 14 and you can't drive, it is perfect. So that's huge. So easy and so good. That's amazing. And, and I don't know if that has to do with like the theater trust or like we we're all in this together. You know, we, we sell tickets here. We got to get you to the gig and get you back. It is not like that in America. It is every man for yourself. <laughs> and, you know, you grow up in a place in the Midwest, like Jackson grew up outside of New York city where everybody goes. So, and there's ways to get in and out of the city from Connecticut. Right. So he, he could figure that out at a fairly young age. When you're a place like Louisville, Kentucky, you get some gigs, but there's more gigs in Indianapolis, which is a two-hour drive away. And there's probably more gigs in Cincinnati, which is maybe a little less than a two-hour drive away. There's a ton of gigs in Nashville, but that's a three-hour drive away, and you lose an hour. Well, you lose it coming home. You pick it up going down there. So it's great going down, and you come back, and you're exhausted. So, yeah, I, I've had to drive all over the place to see my favorite bands over the years to have a system like that, like not only can you buy a ticket to the show, but you can buy a ticket back and forth. That's reasonable. That's actually pretty awesome. It doesn't exist anymore. This this was just back then. And I don't know if it's because of the size of the UK that it's doable. I think it was just, you know, like we talked about your tailgating culture. Mm-hmm. I think it was just part of the gig culture, the network that existed, the way things that were, the way that in which they were actually set up. So yeah, it was so easy. And I'm almost... I regret for both of you and for this episode that it was so easy. I'd love to give you a story about whores and crack dens and all sorts of crazy <laughs> things going on. But unfortunately, it wasn't. It was turn up at the theatre, get on a coach. I'll tell you what was good. Now, I can't actually remember it, but it must have been. It must have been good. I can't remember much before I was 16, so apologies. But what must have been good, and I can remember this in later years when I used to, because you used to be able to do the same thing for Monsters of Rock and the Redden Festival. You know, you get on a coach and steady, really, really easy. Is that you were on a coach with like-minded people. So it was a little Mm -hmm. bit like going to a football game where everyone supports the same team, everyone supports the same band. And as we've discussed before, rock, metal, alternative, what you whatever you want to call it is more of a subculture in the uk as opposed to everyone so you know they were the people they were the other five people who went to your school that you would run away from the bullies do you know what i mean and like sort of and then you sort of your little tribe or whatever so i like the idea even though i can't explicitly remember i like the idea that i would have been on that coach feeling really good around what i would have considered to be cool people who like the same sort of stuff and also at a time when I think, and I don't want to sound like an old man shouting at clouds, but maybe at a time when <laughs> anyone who did go to a gig went to a gig because they liked the band, as opposed to it just being something to do or be seen to be do or like right. an event or you know to 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 film or take pictures of or whatever. It felt a little bit purer then in terms of like everyone's really into music here, um, where it might have moved away a little bit from that now, but not, not totally. So yeah, I've got very fond memories and made up memories of what. <laughs> <laughs> what it was like nice. well, yeah i remember back then too before we had the the set list on the internet you kind of had to i mean you kind of knew what they were going to play but then you're also kind of guessing it would be great if they did this and i heard from somewhere that three nights ago they did this track so yeah i can imagine that conversation on the bus was probably something like that everybody getting psyched up and 
guessing what the set list was going to be and probably telling stories about they'd seen him in the past. Yeah, cool. If only I could remember it. Yeah. <laughs> no, and then uh, we go see the Stones or something. You make odds. I was like, okay, well, what do they? What they think they play Jack Jumpin' Jack Flash? I'm like, yeah, I'm giving you even odds. They play Jumpin' Jack Flash. But what about She's a Rainbow? Okay, well, that's a fifty to one. Like you could, you know, you can make odds like that. That was kind of a fun pregame ritual that we really don't do anymore because, of course, I see. I look at the set list because I want to know what I'm going to sing along to. <laughs> This is Chris from My Rock and Roll Heaven, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. But so you're 14, you're probably not drinking real heavy, and you're on the coach over there. So... I guess you probably didn't have much of a pregame ritual like drinking beers or what, but did you like bring your Walkman with you so you could listen to stuff on the bus? Did you listen at your house to the new record a few times before you then went and caught the coach? Like any kind of pregame ritual that you started then? There's no pregame ritual because, as you said, there was no capacity for there really to be much of a pregame ritual. And it, by virtue of it being the first time, then I haven't sort of built up like a ritual there. But I think one thing I definitely would have done prior to in the months leading up to it i would have overloaded on watching a video that was out at the time which was called in the round in your face which was a video of Beth leopard in the round (laughs) 
on the hysteria tour and then obviously even if people haven't seen that whole video the 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 video for the single of portsmouth sugar on me that was released in the states mm-hmm. that's taken from that video so it's, it's a show in the uh, in denver in mcnichols arena which i think it's is closed down now in fact i know it's closed down last band to play there by the way just in case you want a little fact it was easy top so there you go Thank you. um so i love that video and I watched that video probably more than I listened to Hysteria and the albums. And you know, like some like sometimes you talk about albums and whatever. I think maybe for our generation, it's like these videos that we get, whatever it, you know, whatever it yes. might be, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, were just as important and in some ways not more important than the actual videos themselves. So my whole excitement for going to see Def Leppard in the round, because you've got to remember Def Leppard never played in the round in the UK in um, the late 80s because the equipment that they hung above the stadium was mm-hmm. too heavy for any of the buildings in ah. the UK to actually hold it. With technology, when you get to 1992, they can make it a little bit lighter. So all of a sudden, it can be done. So that had never been done in the UK before. There's 32 tons of equipment in sound, lights and scaffolding flown above us every night. And we are actually stood on 20 tons of equipment. And I've spent four years watching that video, knowing every edit, knowing every little cut, knowing every little intonation in Joe Elliott's voice, knowing all the little bits of banter, all the little things that he says before, the little things nice. that he changes, the little Phil Collins looks, the little Steve Clarks, like everything, everything <laughs> I know. it. And I'm going to that gig essentially wanting that gig to be that mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's interesting now i always moan about death lap and not mixing things up enough and set lists being the same and i know when you were on with the, when the kiss fellas were on i think it's a bit of a classic rock thing now i think a lot of these bands you know stick to a very similar set list yeah and i moan about it quite a lot now even though i understand it and why they do it but back then all I wanted was that recreated. Absolutely, you know, I, I didn't I want. It. I didn't want it to be any difference at all. I just, it's like I want to see that in real life. So, in terms of ritual, watching that probably more times that it's healthy and probably yeah. the type of thing that you could be sponsored for for charity in terms of how much <laughs> I watched it. I would say. And and you bring up a great point, Jack. I mean, isn't he right, Jackson, about watching those videos? How many times did we watch Kiss Extreme Close-Up, right? I mean, how many times did we watch those videos? Because not only do you get to see them performing live, but you get them talking and giving interviews and giving facts that are now burned into our brains, right, mm-hmm. that, that, yeah, we, that we love. <laughs> it definitely added another layer to it, and I was, I was in the same boat. I couldn't wait to see the, the round show because it yeah. looks so cool that, you know, they can move all of the stage. There wasn't junk in the middle like you know stacks of anything to block your view so i knew it was going to be cool and and what i really liked too was the whole thing about how you know they had the they had the curtain and they would get going and then boom yeah. drop the curtain and it was time to go yeah that look i couldn't wait for that yeah and well and you mentioned the uh the american pour some sugar on me video but also the armageddon video was filmed yeah. uh at mcnichols and i Love that song. Pour Some Sugar on Me kind of got overdone. It's kind of a stripper song. I kind of got sick of it, (laughs) to be honest with you. And some of the other songs, too. But I just, their harmony on that, I just loved. And they're in the... They're in the arena. They're showing the girls singing along in the crowd. I'm like, yes, that's a show I want to go to, man. They did rip it down and build the fancy Pepsi Center. They call well, they called it that a few years back, where the Nuggets and the Avalanche play. I did get to see the police there on their reunion tour, but I never saw the old McNichols Arena. But if I recall correctly, 
gentlemen, and it may, and it's, it's one of the first times we ever saw this, Jackson, was it was an evening with Def Leppard and, and no opening act because, and I think a lot of that is because no one could cover that in the round stage. No one could cover all sides of that. So they're like, okay, we'll just do it on our own. Is it the same for you, Neil? No, there was a support band. It was a support band called Gun. Gun. I don't, not Guns and Roses. They were just called Gun. Just so they gun. were a Scottish band. Okay. And they were pretty, they weren't huge. They like played theater-sized places the end of the the end of the end 80s, early 90s. So their second album, which was called Gallus, which is like a Glaswegian term for great. They were from Glasgow in Scotland. So Gallus apparently means, you know, great or like really good. Or awesome, something like that. So I again, I was lucky. This this happened to me a lot in my sort of teenage years. I was really lucky with lots of things, which was, which was fantastic in terms of, I already liked Gun. I had their albums. I was a big fan of them already. So when they were announced as a support band, it was like, oh, brilliant, killing two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. Not only am I getting to see Def Leppard, but they're throwing in Gun as well. And so Gun did play. And I remember, again, I've got lots of memories of these sort of relatively young bands really going for it. And I quite like that attitude that some support bands have, which is, we're going to make it really, really difficult for you to follow us. We're really mm-hmm. going to go for it. And no matter how the crowd's reacting or anything, we're really, really going to go for it. And of course, in 1983, that's what Def Leppard were doing in the States on the Pyromania album. They were supporting people. At, the start, at the start of the tour. At the start of the tour, they were. Yeah. By the end, yeah, they exactly. were headlining. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so it was quite good in a way. You sort of see, by, by 1992, Def Leppard, you know, already like elder statesmen of, of rock, you know, being around for sort of 12 years back then. is like, you know, you've been around like, you know, um, a long time. So Gun were excellent. I remember the singer, uh, Mark Rankin, his name was. Gun is still going, but he's not a singer anymore. The bass okay. player is a singer um, again. I actually, actually saw them a few months ago, and it's still really good. But he was like jumping off the stage, and he was running up and down the aisles and all of this. And he was like, I think he was either hammered or he was like, you know, coked up to his eyeballs or something. Sure. I don't know, allegedly, <laughs> you know, lawyers. Um, or he was supposed to be on, he, he, maybe he was adrenalized. I don't know. But um, yeah, so he was like really, really going for it. And they were very energetic. It was like a, like a gang of like puppies or something, just legging it around the stage. The year after, when I saw them in Don Valley, which was an outdoor stadium mm. show, I tell you, he was exactly the same. They had three support bands, a band that you wouldn't have heard of called Terror Vision, uh, Ugly Kid Joe, who you wouldn't right. have heard of, and another band called Thunder, who you might have heard of. But mm. I remember Ugly Kid Joe, um, what was her singer called? Every- Whitfield uh, Crane. Oh, yeah, was it? And I yeah, remember- that song, Every- yeah. I Hate Everything About You. I remember that about them. That's it, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think they did Cats in the Cradle as well, which was like a cover. But I remember him doing something you know where he was climbing up like like a rope ladder thing and across the rigging and all of this so he looked like like a poundland eddie vedder or something <laughs> i think eddie vedder <laughs> had been in that two years earlier yeah. on all the videos and there was a lot of going that going on in the early 90s wasn't it? <laughs> people just doing very dangerous things yeah so yeah so to go back to the point yeah there was a support band they put the curtain up after the support band had been on and it was really good and it to me, it adds to my memory. It's a big part of it. It's not just all about Def Leppard. The fact that they supported them was really good. And interestingly, on um, Instagram or Facebook, actually, I don't know if this is interesting or a little bit depressing, but the bass player out of Gun, who's a singer now, 
he's on he was on Facebook or Instagram and he went to see Def Leppard that he's just standing in the crowd and he's taking a picture. No, he's taking a video of himself like that with Def Leppard playing in the him. background. And I was thinking, oh, I don't know if that's cool or actually quite depressing because like in 1992 they're on the same stage as him and now he's standing there in the rain just part of the crowd a normal right. person like us watching him and you know <laughs> well you know superstardom is only for the select few right you might get a taste of it some people get to certain heights but to stay where the deaf leopard's been all these years that's very rare air so i, I say yeah. he's celebrating it like you know i was there once not there now but i was there once and here i am back to celebrate it is it true that ugly kid joe i mean ugly kid joe opened a lot of their dates in america i feel like too but but they didn't for us did they jackson or did we just not go until after they were i was trying to remember that if they opened we didn't go because i don't remember that at all yeah i'll look at my tickets once we let neil go because we only have so much time with him but yeah i i don't recall i recall it being an evening with because and and then when we saw the stage we realized well yeah who else could cover this stage and you're going to cover it for 40 minutes eh, i don't know i mean yeah look two different bands on two different nights did it for metallica every night around the world so it is possible right but uh, at any rate uh, i don't recall it all right so let's move along to your seats were these good or bad seats and then you know given where you were how was the sound i had a nigh on perfect seat i would say so obviously the whole thing with it being in the round you know the stage on the floor in the middle is that it makes you know if you are at one of the ends or one of the sides then you're half as close or whatever as you could possibly mm-hmm. be and i think that was always obviously metallica with them in it at the same time because they had the same management term q prime with cliff, right. uh, cliff bernstein so there was obviously a thing that their management were sort of doing with their acts at the time, you know, it was like this, this um, in the round. So I think by virtue of that straight away, you're increasing your chances of getting a really, really good seat. True. Secondly, as well, I think you're probably in, I'm probably in a better position by, so I was half, if it was a normal arena and a stage was at one end, I would have been at the back halfway up. But as a consequence, I was, you know, I was halfway up with a perfect view of the stage. And as you recall, the stage was really cool. I had like the adrenalized eye on it and everything. Mm-hmm. So if you were at a yeah. ground level, you couldn't see the actual design on the stage itself. I think it was an improvement from the Hysteria Tour because I've spoken to people now who went to the in the round Hysteria Tour. The, sta- the stage was really high. And if you were at a ground level, you couldn't see what was happening on the other side okay. of the stage. You really did have like an obstructed view. So they'd fix that on the Adrenalize tour, even if you were at ground level where I think it was a lot lower. There was lots of like ramps that slanted down. It was more of a diamond shape. So even if you were at ground level, you could see more of what was going on on the other side. But where I was, it was like perfect. It was like dead center looking at it. I can see the stage. I can see the design. I still Mm -hmm. feel like I'm really close. I can see all the sides of the stage. So even if I'm watching the back of someone, you know, sort of... um, playing the other direction i could still see it all and i had a full view of it so in terms of seats it was brilliant it was excellent i probably couldn't have asked for a better seat in terms of the sound i think historically the sound is never great in any of these arenas in the uk mm-hmm. some of them are a little bit better now where they've i don't know i don't know what they were ever actually really made for but i don't feel like they were ever made for gigs so much but i think now they've improved them a little bit mm-hmm. but can I can I tell you hand on heart that I can remember exactly what the sound was like? No, I can't. But I've got no recollection whatsoever of thinking I can't. The sound's no good, or I can't hear this, or it's echoey. I can't 
recollect having any issues with the sound. I mean, interestingly, I spoke to my brother last night and said, do you remember when we went to see Def Leppard? He was like, yeah. I was like, was the sound okay? Because I'm going to be asked that tomorrow by Mark. They'll <laughs> <laughs> be really, really angry with me if I can't answer it. And like, you know, so, yeah. you know, they might cut me off and everything. And he was, <laughs> and he was like, no, I can't remember. It just sounded really good. And I think he sort of said, like, well, I mean, whatever you think of Def Leppard, they do always tend to sound pretty good. Even if yeah. you hate the music, it's like, you know, you can normally hear it and it sounds okay, and, you know, and all of that. So I don't have any recollections of the sound being poor whatsoever. So my assumption is that there was no issues with it and it was fine. Maybe I'd love to go back and hear it now with seasoned gig going is where a much more of a connoisseur now aren't we all in our sort of you know in our Correct. older years you've got lots yes. of gigs you've got lots of things to compare it to if i went now would i be more critical of it i don't know but certainly as a 14 year old first gig ever just the whole excitement of it and also as well because it was such a visual impact mm-hmm. yeah maybe that distracts from the sound not being quite as good as you know you needed to be if there's less going on and there's less of a production it was very much a whole package and i've got no recollection of anything disliking or being dissatisfied with many parts of it i must say blows away playing at one end um it's far more fun for us for a start Uh, as you can see it's sort of like playing in four theaters all at once so you get a sort of a a theater atmosphere within an arena because when you set up at one end and the back row is 110 yards away those poor kids can't see anything and we can't see them yeah and, and that's probably if there's any question of these brilliant questions that we've come up with that we might take out it, the sound i mean look you're right as connoisseurs who've been to now hundreds of shows the sound plays a role and you can say okay this is a bad place to, or you know where i was sitting was the sound didn't come through but when it's your first show you don't have anything to compare it to right so you 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 don't know it's and and, and at a hard rock show it kind of blasts you like woo okay this is kind of loud that's why they had an opening at back to get your ears ready for it but like for us i mean the arena was so brand new the orlando arena I don't think they built it until they knew they were going to get the magic Jackson. So that arena might've only been, I mean, not even five years old or about five years old. So, I mean, it was set up well for the sound for us. Yeah. 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 I, I remember, I couldn't remember exactly when it was built, but that's, that sounds about right. Cause I remember thinking, Oh, this looks pretty new when we went in and yeah, I mean, I, I remember the sound or I can, my recollection is that the sound was pretty good. Well, let's, all right, let's skip to the more fun stuff here. Right favorite moment the moment where you realized this is awesome this this is what i wanted to see this is what it came for what was that moment and it's different from favorite song or maybe it's the same but you let us know vivid for all of the times i've told you things i can't remember in this conversation so far (laughs) i do actually have really vivid memories of certain parts of it as well and my most vivid memory and my favorite part of that show was when they played rocket Mm. reason being one I love that song. Yep. Two, they never played on Hysteria at all. And as you were saying, Jackson, there was no, you didn't really get any insights into what the set list was going to be. And I'd always thought, even back then, because I was probably still thinking like I was in my 40s, even though I was 14, <laughs> um, I always thought, I can't see how they can play that live because, you know, there's all of these samples in it and, and so forth. So I That's absolutely true. wasn't expecting it and I loved it. So when that comes on, I was that was, that was a real shock a real surprise a very welcome surprise so there was that as well and then the actual that was the most 
produced part of the show. And I know later on in the 90s, actually, you know, Nevermind's already out by then. Grunge is already sort of like kicked off. But that whole idea hasn't totally taken over yet. Like everything has to be stripped down. You know, we all just, there's no show element anymore. You know, we just want to look like normal fellas who've, you know, just come out of fixing our car and like we pick our guitar up and it's all very earthy and everything. That hadn't that that hadn't quite seeped yet. So Def Leppard were doing their biggest production they'd ever done to date and ever done since 1993. They strip away all that production completely and they've never ever gone back to something as producers are. But I was all about the spectacle as well. Mm. And I still am to an extent. You know, different horses for different courses. Yeah. And Joe and Rocket, there's a bit in the middle where they had an extended section in the middle where there was like a Phil Collin and Vivian Campbell, who's obviously on his first tour with Def yeah. Leppard, there was a whole section where they had like a dueling guitars solo section that went on for a good few minutes. And then during that as well, uh, the, on the stereo tour, Rick Allen's drum riser just span around very, mm-hmm. very slowly. But on that Adrenalized tour, you'll, you'll probably remember, well, uh, it went, it, yeah, it rose yeah. up in the air. It was on whatever you call it. Yeah, it was on some sort of like pneumatic riser thing. So it went up. And do you know what? It probably only... <laughs> I imagine. I bet it only went up about like eight feet in the air. I bet it wasn't that much. <laughs> but at the time, it, I remember thinking it looked really like high and it was turning around. It went up, had all the smoke and the lights around it. Rick Savage mm-hmm. was sort of standing on it as well with his right. back to Rick yeah. Allen. And it was very much like the effect of a rocket going up very, very slowly. <laughs> and I wonder now if one of those things is like, you know, maybe it wasn't that impressive, but I remember it being spectacularly impressive. I remember thinking, this is fucking cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? All of that, that song, all of the extra bits that they added in, the whole rising drum riser and everything. And I've never, you know, I've never seen Motley Crue when Tommy Lee was doing all his mad stuff and his drums right. where it's like spinning around and everything. So in terms of production that I saw, it probably remains one of the like sort of most theatrical productions in terms of doing something with the set that just went above and beyond it simply being in the round so i have very very strong vivid memories of that i've got no photos of that gig but i can see it like Mm. photos in my head i really really can (laughs) and i remember that being a real real highlight for me well i know like when i you're sitting there and sometimes when they play songs like it takes you a second to because it's really loud you know you're kind of you're kind of pumped up and it may take you a second okay i know what this song is but with rocket you know they because they pump in that first intro so it can't be anything else you know it's that and so you must have just freaked out jumped up this is it this is the song i've been waiting for and and the thing about the drum kit too, I remember that like because it moved around, and so when it went up, I'm like, oh, yeah. you're right, it probably wasn't that high, but the fact that it wasn't fixed and could move and go up and down, yeah, that was pretty impressive. I, it, to me, that's easily the highlight because it, for people who didn't see it, it's like there's five steps. There's two steps that are the same 
you know, level on opposite sides. And then you kind of go up two steps and then there's kind of a middle step, but these aren't steps. These are like, you know, 50 by 20, however big they are, you know, kind of thing. And yeah, Rick's drum kit went zip, you know, from one side to the other, you know, one side to the other of the top middle part. Right. And yeah, Joe and the guitarist could walk up there and walk back down. And then, yeah, he gets to the eye because in the center of his highest level was the adrenalized eye. And then, yes, Sabs would come stand behind him, and then it would go up. And then lights came out, I feel like, from under it, you know? And it yeah. was like it was like a spaceship, you know? And, and <laughs> I'm like, Jackson, this is so cool, you know? Because <laughs> we'd maybe see the Stones do a big production, you know, like that, but we'd never really seen anything like that. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is so cool. And, I, you know, Rick's pretty safe there. Like, but does Sab have anything to, like, hold on to like if he loses his balance he's going down man it was a little because like the kiss guys had stuff they could lean on right or hold on to when they elevate them up in the air but sav's just standing there like look at me with my base i'm like don't get dizzy dude you know because that's a nasty fall waiting but that was easily the coolest part of the show and i don't think that we knew that either i mean you knew that you knew that they had the the round stage but they didn't do that on the hysteria tour right so to see it move around okay but then when it went up you think, well, that's new. I did, that's I did. cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Hi, this is Gary Kemp. And this is Guy Pratt. And you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. <laughs> so am I stupid in asking, was anything other than Gods of War your favorite song? Or was it Rocket? Because, you know, they didn't they didn't play it on the stereo tour. Rocket was my favorite. Okay. I think also go, go, going back to what I said about, you know, watching the in the round in your face video mm-hmm. from 88 and wanting it to be the same and probably where it was a little bit different or it was a fair bit different to what you saw is that I got that in the round in your face beginning where it came on with, you know, the, the Dirty Harry uh, right. audio you know you know do you feel lucky punk and you know how many shots of the fire and you know you gotta ask yourself a question now i think when you went to see them by then let's get rocked was the first song right so yeah. that that dirty harry bit the end of it on the um, and you gotta ask yourself one question and then it go do you want to get rocked and then you know <laughs> yeah. it falls down and, and all of that they were still doing the hysteria start which was they they took it right through to the bit where they go is uh, do you feel lucky punk or, or whatever it is and then they started stage fright I know Pyromania album, and then he played the first part of that behind the mm-hmm. the curtain, and then the curtain fell down. I know, and that was what I was desperate to see. And to this day, I don't know whether you be whether it be album songs or whatever. If you just said right, you can take ten Def Leppard things on a desert island with you, like a desert island disc, but it could be more than discs. I would say just stage frights on that in the round in your face video that the start of that gig i've always thought it just looks like the most like electric start to a gig ever i don't think definitely ever have ever come close to starting gigs as well as they were doing um back then and they did it so i was oh, it's just like fucking buzzing i was so <laughs> happy that they just they did what i wanted them to do and then there's a few other things things that like are not cool anymore and I would probably not want to see any more because I'm just a bit lazy and I'm thinking I want to beat the traffic mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm in work tomorrow and, and all of this stuff. But some of those, like, classic 80s, I know went into the 90s, but the classic 80s type rock thing that they were still doing that I was really happy. So Phil Collin had a big guitar solo before Gods of War, you know, when mm-hmm. he's just rolling around on a stage. Vivian Campbell had one before, sorry, 
Vivian Campbell had one before Gods of War. Phil Collin had one before White Lightning. That was like really, really good. So now people don't like that type of thing, but I remember really, really liking that. And then the other big 80s rock thing that he did, which again was very similar to In the Round in Your Face, was when he played Rock of Ages, which my show was the very, very last song that he played. After right. the solo, they stop there, um, and it's just Joe and Rick on a stage, and everyone else goes off, and then they do this big 10-minute you know, crowd participation right. sing-along thing, you know, where you sort of, you do, you do what, and because you've got four sides, you know, you do one side, and you're all competing with each other, and then you do it all together, <laughs> and you're all singing Rock of Ages. And, like, now I hear people say, you know, they really don't like that because it's just, you know, it it's boring it yeah. or whatever, but... I really, I really enjoyed that sort of showmanship. You know, that it was more than just someone trudging on, playing mm-hmm. some songs. I enjoyed the spectacle of it. I enjoyed the camaraderie of it. I enjoyed the theatre of it. I enjoyed, like, the cliches of it. All of that is what I wanted, and all of that was what I got. So it's those moments that are, like, and those songs that really stand out for me. It's like, you know, the stage fright, the curtain dropping, the rocket. You know, the drum riser going up, the rock of ages, the crowd participation, all of these bits, the guitar solos that are overly long and that now you would skip them forward and no interest in it. Mm-hmm. I loved all of that in particular, I would say. Well, you you brought up, I don't know what your biggest disappointment in the show was or if you had one. Mine was that they started with Let's Get Rocked instead of Stage Fright. I think that's a brilliant way to open the show. I think they should have opened all of their shows their entire career with stage fright i know they don't do it anymore i know they like to mix it up but that and that was the biggest difference between our two set lists i mean the order may have been different for a couple of key songs you know photograph wraps the show in america because that's such a huge hit whereas it only got to number 66 in the uk so they work it in but it's not like we're closing the show with that in the uk whereas it's huge hit in america so i understand like that difference but i don't know why they didn't start with stage fright i love that song My favorite moment besides the, uh, the the drum going up was they played Too Late for Love because Pyromania is where we came in, you know, and, and I love that song. And you never know what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. And I'm like, oh, they're going to play that? That's so awesome. So that was that was a psych for me. But was there any big disappointment for you? Like, ah, they didn't play this, or oh, it would have been cool if they did that. I'll be honest with you. I think they were 14-year-old me who's been waiting for four years to see Def Leppard and my first ever gig. They they were pushing at an open door. I mean, it would have had to be pretty bad for me to even admit it to myself. So I can't remember being disappointed by any of it. Like genuinely. And by the way, I don't want to come across as a knobhead with a Def Leppard podcast here. It always just says positive things. Trust me, I've seen them plenty of other times where I have been disappointed. But this show, this show in particular, no chance. And the one thing that I would say is my, it's not about the show itself, but one sort of disappointment with it is, other than the obvious, I wish I could have, I wish I could remember it a little bit more. I wish I'd maybe gone, in some ways, if I'd been 18, I think I'd remember more of it, and I would like to sort of remember more of it. I think one other thing that probably adds to the mystique, but I'd be quite happy for the mystique to be taken away, <laughs> is there's no 
there's no video of that adrenalized tour of the mm. in the round section of it. They released a video um song on the back end of Adrenalized called um, I Wanna Touch You. Not not one of right. the greatest songs, which had them in the round, I think it was in Canada, um, somewhere. So there is that bit of footage, and apparently there is a footage of a whole show that could be of a good enough level to actually sort of release one day, but they haven't so far. I don't oh, think yeah. they ever will be. So I think I, I would like disappointingly I can't remember it as much as I would like to. And disappointingly there's, there's no record of that show other than sure. things on YouTube. But in a way the stuff that is on YouTube does represent it quite well in terms of just the darkness of it and the lights and the sort of excitement and the sort of the, the, the volume of it and things like that. In a way, this is a very shaky hand cam YouTube videos that you can see of the adrenalized tour. Okay do remind me of what it was like and i think do represent it fairly well well your answer is actually pretty common and i think it's because we're asking people generally when they were teenagers going to see their favorite band and they've never seen them before right and and like you know for for you it was not only your first Def leopard show it's your first concert ever so you don't have anything to compare it to so the whole thing is like you know when my dad took me to see george thorogood the delaware destroyers for my first show People ask me how it was. It was amazing. Now, if I looked at it right now, there'd probably be a few things I pick out. Yeah, that's not so great. That wasn't cool. But like spectacle of it, the noise being part of the crowd, hearing songs you love is like, wow, man, this is so cool. So that's don't put yourself down because when you're seeing your first your favorite band for the first time, of course, you're going to love it. You know, yeah, that's that's all part of it. It's just there are disappointments when we see bands these days, right? And we have to talk about it. Do you know what those. the closest comparison to is, I could say, is an experience? And I think this is telling in terms of if you're into whatever sport you're into as well and you've got a passion for that. So I have for football or, or soccer. Mm-hmm. It's very, very reminiscent of going to see my football team for the very first time sure. and experiencing that for the first time as a kid where even now I think back to that I cannot remember anything. I know we won 2-0, but I can't remember anything about that game at all. But what I can remember is the crowd singing, like you get in a UK sort of uh, yeah. soccer ground. You know, the fact that I was like standing terraces that went with my dad and my granddad and like, you know, you know, sort of, you know, the smells of it and like, you know, like and, and all the rest of it. And I can remember everything but the football, but I can really vividly <laughs> remember the experience and like, you know, yeah. when you come out and you see the green pitch ahead of you and it's just like, like paradise. And I think, don't get me wrong, I can remember a lot about the actual, I can remember the show and everything, but it feels similar where you sort of, it's a sensory overload. Yes. And it is a bit of a epiphany. It is a bit of a threshold moment in a young person's life where you just go, fucking hell this is brilliant isn't yeah. it whatever's gonna happen now it almost doesn't matter i'm just here and it's great and it, it felt a lot like that to me so maybe it's better that there is no video record of that so you can always just have yeah, it maybe. in your head yeah. being perfect yeah. Yeah. maybe yeah all right well obviously you've seen the band again since then how many times have you seen Def leopard and where does this rank of all the times you've seen them i don't know the exact number it's probably around 20 something okay. like that mm-hmm. um it's not it's not like i mean I've, I've met people over the last few years since doing this podcast too i mean you know 200 times you know they go and see they follow them all around the states you know all, yeah. all of this type of thing i've never i've never done that and uh, so it's probably about 20 times in total i would say and i don't think anything that this this remains for me the best the best time i would say in terms of which sounds a little bit counterintuitive saying i can't remember it but 
I can remember the feeling of it, and I got I do have vivid me- put this way, I've got no other vivid memories from when I was fourteen, other than that show. Mm-hmm. So in taking in that context, I think that tells you sort of what impact it sort of had on me. No, not least that you know sort of you know we're all here doing podcasts about music based on sort of our teenage sort of experiences and whatever. So definitely, but I've n- never done a bigger show in terms of like a production since then. It was what I wanted them to see them do. Have them watch it in the round in your face video in the UK. That's their peak. So mm-hmm. I know Adrenalize isn't their peak in in the states, but it's their peak in in the uk a year later they go and play fifty thousands in front of fifty thousand people in a stadium with just them none of this joint headline and stuff with motley crew like that they're doing now or anything it's like yeah. they've reached the summit in the uk and that's the biggest they ever get they've got that perfect balance of being seasoned and having been around for sort of 10 years or so uh 10 12 years yeah. but they're still relatively young they're still like sort of in their early 30s and it's sort of i think that is peak Death Leopard and it was the peak show and it was my first experience and I don't think anything beats that I think that is still to this day the best that and my favorite gig and if I could relive any one of those gigs it would be that one in, in a heartbeat awesome well I mean look I we've had so much time talking Def Leppard we could probably do it for another hour but I know you've got to run you want to tell our listeners exactly where they can find you all over the web and your podcast yeah so if you go onto your podcast app of choice whatever that might be if you just search death lap pod you probably won't even need to write all of it out once you get to the death and the l- um <laughs> then it'll probably just come up because there's no other death leopard um podcast out there therefore it is the best death leopard podcast that's around that's um it's quite easy um so yeah <laughs> any any of that uh, and then also in terms of social media on twitter mainly uh, which is at Def Left Pod, and then due to Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook or Meta thinking I was trying to pretend that I was Def Leppard, I've had terrible, <laughs> terrible no. time on Facebook and Instagram and all of this in terms of me not being able to have a Def Left Pod account. So on oh, that, goodness. if you just look for Def Left Pod Neil, which is always a good r- reminder of how um, amateurish this whole thing I'm doing <laughs> is. Uh, <laughs> I like you know I can't work that out and I can't be asked to work it out. That'll have to do. So yeah, Def Left Pod Neil on all social media other than Twitter, which is at Def Pod. And I've, at, at the time of chatting, I think we're, we're off to episode seventy-two, which wow. is twenty-two more than I ever thought I was going to do. So that's good. Doing great. <laughs> it's it's a great show. It's got so much detail and it's fun, and you have great guests on from around the world, including me and Jackson on occasion. So everyone should check that out. Yes. Yes. That's, that's awesome. And then I assume there was no post game ritual. It's just getting on the coach and getting back to Liverpool at one or two in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine and probably one ritual that went is I could imagine I probably didn't sleep for the next three days. <laughs> just been on an absolute <laughs> high. So the ritual of sleeping probably stopped. And there was a new ritual of just sort of staying up and thinking, oh, so this is what taking drugs feels like. Maybe I did go to a crack then after all. <laughs> well, did you get a shirt and wear it to school and say, check me out, everybody, I was there? I did. Not only did I get a T-shirt, I got an all-over T-shirt. So rather than like say this one I'm wearing now, which is a black T-shirt with one image on it, mm-hmm. it was like all over. It, it had all like adrenalized, lots of adrenalized eyes, and it was mm-hmm. sort of joined by like little bits of lightning. And it went over the shoulders and everything. So I, rem- I remember buying that. 
but I don't have that anymore. I don't think I could even fit that on one leg anymore, <laughs> never mind my body. So uh, I know I, I definitely I definitely wouldn't have worn it to school. Absolutely not, because I would have just got my head kicked in. So, no uh, that, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think anyone ever knew that I went to that, but no, I was, I was very happy. And I did get some merch, and it's the only program, I should have got out to show you, but the only program I've ever bought in my life uh, when going to a gig was uh, that show. And I've got it in the cupboard there. It's still in pristine nice. condition. So I do get that out every now and again and have a little look at that. <laughs> Good for you, man. That's awesome. Well, look, thanks so much. Godspeed to you and the show. If we can ever do anything for you. Don't hesitate to ask, man. All right, thanks, fellas. Best of luck with this uh, this new venture. I've listened to the other one that was out at the time of recording, and it's excellent, as is everything that you both do. So, yeah, carry on doing it. So I've got something to listen to. Fantastic. You Thank you. Thank you, Neil. All the best. Well, that's why we do these things. Well, we appreciate our pal Neil from Def Leppard coming out to talk to us here on First Concert Memories number three. Talk Def Leppard. It was a show that Jackson and I went to when we were living in college together about 30 years ago. And I just remember being blown away by it. Blown away by the stage. Blown away by the quality of the sound. And just the number of hits, the songs that Def Leppard had were unbelievable. It was a really great night. And it was fun to hear the dichotomy of what it was like hearing the UK fans' perspective from the US fans' perspective. Because... They can kind of do no wrong in the U.S. They've got two diamond albums in the U.S., not so much in the U.K. Like Being in the U.K., being a Def Leppard fan is not real cool, at least according to Neil. So I'm glad things have kind of come more their way in the U.K. I'm glad Neil can be proud to be a Def Leppard fan and relive the moments from the Adrenalized Tour with us here today. So check him out, Def Pod at Def Pod. You can find him or Deflep Pod Neil, and make sure you download and subscribe to The Ugly American Werewolf in London wherever you get your podcast, folks. And if you're thinking about it, hey, give us a positive five-star review. It just helps us grow the show. It helps us find more rock and roll fans like you. And of course, those come out weekly on Thursdays. And we're trying out some new segments. we got a couple of fun guests coming up that we can't wait to share with you. So thank you to Jackson. Thank you to Neil. This was our third First Concert Memories. The fourth one will be out around the 1st of November, 2023. Until then, keep listening to The Ugly American Werewolf and keep going to live music. It's the only way we're going to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.